Friday Reporter. I'm Lisa, your host, and for the last 25 years, I've worked in public affairs. And for those who don't know, that's where we take the hard questions for our clients from reporters. So to switch things up, I thought it'd be fun to flip things around. Remember that movie Freaky Friday where the characters traded places? You got it. That's the concept. So this time, we're going to ask reporters the questions. And we're going to have a little fun with it while we're at it. Welcome to the latest episode of the Friday Reporter. I am super excited to have today's guest with me. He is not only a friend, uh, but a great colleague and uh, is probably one of my favorite stories uh, as it relates to getting to know a reporter in the public affairs space. Uh, Chris Freitz and I met... uh, Oh boy, 14 years ago, when my another uh, mutual friend and colleague at Politico recommended that I get to know a, a healthcare reporter, healthcare reporter who was uh, new to Politico and writing some great things. And so uh, I made the entrepreneurial call to call Chris Freitz and introduce myself to him. And he immediately asked me what I wanted and what was my pitch. Chris Freitz, thank you for joining me today. <laughs> it's good to be here. You know, get to the point. What do you want? And you immediately said, I don't want anything. I just want to talk, which so disarmed me because I got so many pitches every day. And if a friend said or a colleague said, hey, you got to talk to this person, you talk to him. But you, you're always asking yourself why and, and how is this? What do they want? And you said, look, I just I just want to know what you need. I want to understand what your beat is. I want to understand how I can help you which was such a different approach and such a smart approach that uh, it's one I use today now that I've uh, jumped over to the other side. Well, and that that is really one of the reasons why I felt like having you join me for the early early uh, episodes of my little podcast was you are you are a reporter and, and you but you've now sort of made the transition over to you went from hack to flack uh, which I love and I love getting your perspective about how uh, how that transition went uh, for the purposes of, of anybody that's listening in and, and wants to know more about you I mean Chris Freitz I'll do the sort of the intro but you, you spent a lot of time out in in Colorado tell us for one second give us the you know where'd you start and, and tell us a little bit about storyline now and what you're doing yeah, sure. So I started as a reporter when I was 17 years old uh, at the Gloucester County Times in New Jersey, where I grew up. Uh, I just walked in there and said, hey, can I work for free? Uh, because I had enjoyed working on my school paper so much. And, you know, I had a series of jobs uh, so that by the time I had graduated from college, I'd worked probably at a dozen newsrooms, Washington Post, Boston Globe, Tampa Tribune, the Dallas Morning News. I was a newspaper kid. And so I grew up in print. And uh, my first job out of college was at the Denver Post. I had the enviable position of being able to choose a job, either at the Dallas Morning News or at the Denver Post. I went to Denver. It was a better job. And also I learned to snowboard. So that did not suck. Uh, <laughs> and, and then um, when uh when Politico launched, I had been wanting to get back to D.C. I went to school out here with the University of Maryland. Um, you know, my family, my wife's family is all on the East Coast. And so we were looking to come back and Politico launched. And I thought this could be really cool. And so I took a flyer and just sent all of my stuff to uh, John Harris and Jim Vandehei, who were founding Politico at that time, found their home addresses, called some friends at the Washington Post who could where they had last worked, got their home addresses, home phone numbers, uh, cell phone numbers and just harangue them until they talk to me, just like a reporter does, right? Uh, and so uh, that you know, Jersey I, I, hustle, babe, it never goes away. Jer- Jersey hustle. So 
Um, so I got to Washington through Politico. There's probably 30 of us um, when we launched and it was a little pirate ship and it was a lot of fun. Went on to the National Journal and finally was uh, at CNN uh, as an on-air investigative correspondent. So I jumped to television and of course the, the radio show on Sirius XM, which I've done for the last five years. So I've done print, radio and television and uh, digital property, which was what Politico was. So I've had a lot of fun kind of understanding that. And I got a little bit of the entrepreneurial bug at Politico, right? I created a number of different products there mm -hmm. uh, that exist today, Politico Influence, Politico Pulse, the newsletters. Uh, you know, I went on and built a couple similar products at National Journal. And so when the time came to uh, decide what to do, I had come to CNN to be an investigative correspondent, but we weren't doing a lot of investigating uh, anymore, uh, particularly around the 2016 election. You know, I did a lot of uh, Donald Trump coverage, which is not where I wanted uh, to necessarily spend my life points. Sure. And so, uh, you know, I decided that uh, I would jump out after 20 years in journalism into something completely new, uh, something I'd never done before. I started Storyline with the idea that when I was inside of the newsroom, I was getting so many good pitches. And, and you know this, Lisa, as somebody who pitches really good stories and is one of the best at earned media that I've ever Thanks. worked with. Um, you know, but it's hard, right? It's just hard to land these stories now because the pace of news is so uh, intense. The competition is crazy. The landscape is super noisy. And so I would get these awesome pitches that were great stories and we wouldn't put them on CNN. I mean, one of the privileges of working on a place like CNN is you get the best pitches, right? People want to be on. And so I was seeing that. And then the other piece that I picked up, having covered both the public affairs space and the government uh, relations space in DC was that I'd always get pitches and they'd say, hey, Freight, you gotta write about this, it affects 5 billion people, or you gotta put this on TV, it's a big issue. And you say, cool, all right, like who's the person I can talk to who is affected by this? And people would say, well, like, well I, I don't know. Like they didn't have the face, right? They had all these stats, but as you and I know, they didn't have a story, they didn't have some, a person who could tell that story in a compelling way. And so I started Storyline combining those two things, understanding that organizations were having trouble with earned media and could, in most cases, tell that story themselves with the right resources. And also, I had the skills to go find those people who could tell the story. And so we have done that for a number of uh, companies, trade associations, nonprofits, where we help them understand what their story is. We then go find the people who are best situated to tell that story on their behalf. And then we distribute it to the audiences that matter. So we essentially cut out the media altogether and tell that story from their perspective. They control it completely. There's no risk involved in talking to a reporter. And then we are also able to distribute it uh, to the audiences that matter digitally by and large at a fraction of the cost of what it would cost you to do a television ad. So that's how we started. We've since moved into you know media training for executives, earn media, we do crisis work now. We've kind of built out you know what is much more uh, traditional uh, public affairs offering. Uh, but we started with that idea of storytelling. And I think that is what makes us different too, is that journalistic approach, a very kind of grounded in facts and story. And that's, I think, why our clients come to us because 
we have everybody likes to say they're storytellers now. That's like the buzzword. Buzzy, yeah. Yep, yep. It's I'm like, no, I actually am. Like I've written thousands of stories. I've put them on television. I have done this. And so I think there is a hunger for that because that authenticity, Camus, I think is what people are looking for. We we don't ask anybody to read a script. We don't ask anybody to say anything that they don't believe. Right. We go find people who actually are impacted to tell their real story. And you can feel that difference as opposed to an actor in an ad. Sure. What kind of, when you're working with, and that's so true and authenticity, I think rings, I think it rings very true for, for so many of our clients and so many of the folks we work with, uh, on the client side, what are you finding, uh, as a recovering reporter, what are you finding, uh, some of the, you know, as we sort of give advice to some of our other colleagues and friends who do what we do, what's working? Like when, when, when you do have to go, you know, make a call and and make a pitch to, to our friends on the, on the media side, what kind of stuff is working right now? Cause, cause like you said, I mean, the landscape has changed so much. The oxygen has really sort of been sucked out of the, um, out of the space quite a bit. The ability to break through is so much harder. What, what do you think is working? I think you have to look at it uh, a couple of different ways. And when I was a reporter, I had to do this more and more, uh, which is what I like to call surf the news. And that even as a reporter, you are shopping your story to editors and they often we'll look at that and say, well, I don't know if that rises to the level, right? Sure, it's a story, but does it rise to the level of our publication? And one of the ways to ensure that you're always rising to that level is to surf the news, get yourself a news hook, attach onto it, right? Uh, you, you and I know how hard it is to place an op-ed, for instance, anymore, right? Like yeah. it's almost impossible. But if you have a news hook, you know, I had a client who had a great idea around tech. We tied it to a lot of the Facebook stuff and we were able to then get that place because it was riding a wave that already existed. I think the other way to go, if you don't have in particular a political uh, angle, which is where so much of the news is concentrated, we'll see if that starts to shift with President Biden uh, replacing, uh, succeeding President Trump. Um, but one of the other pieces I think that works is to had the story locked and loaded. You were, uh, you know, one of the early innovators in this. I mean, I remember you would deliver story pitches tied in a bow. Hey, here's the story. Here's the kind of people you could talk to. Here's who I can offer. It was a paint by numbers approach. And I think, you know, that might have 20 years ago offended a reporter. You know, don't tell me how to write this story. Now I feel like there's so much pressure to produce that they're happy to take a look at that. And I find that offering that package with a scoop, an exclusive, something that hasn't been seen before is almost mandatory, right? If it's something that's kind of a retread, then I think you're going to have uh, some some difficulty. And frankly, it's, it's the hardest I've ever seen it. I mean, it was hard when I was inside to pitch stories and get them sold. So, you know, it, it, we are reporters are the buyers. We are the sellers. It's a buyer's market always. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think even for the buyers, you know, they have to then in turn sell that internally. And that bar just keeps going up. I remember I talked to a Wall Street Journal reporter recently who was like, that's a really good story. Uh, she said, I, I just don't know if, you know, if it has the enough big name companies in it. I don't know if it's, you know, if it is uh, something that is going to be worthy of a standalone. And she, she, she said to me, I had a story about Twitter, brand name. Everybody knows about it. We put it on Washington Wire because 
uh, it didn't rise to the level of a standalone story. They, it went as a brief, right? Because that is the level of competition that we're at now. Because all those places have, you know, data ana analytics guys who are looking at what are people reading, what are they clicking on. And while it doesn't necessarily drive coverage, it certainly informs it. So if you don't have something that's going to get clicks, you're going to be in trouble. What uh, hardest question I'm going to ask you? Uh, who has it harder? Is it the PR guys? Is it the reporters? I mean, you've been on both sides of it. I mean, today in today's in today's marketplace, or are we all just sort of equally sharing frustration because it's so difficult to to get uh, get stories out there and get stories written and and do the work. You know, I think there are frustrations on both sides, and they're just different, and it depends what your point of view is where you're sitting, who's more frustrated, yeah. right? I, I think I was often frustrated, you know, internally when I had a good story and I worked on it, you know, to try to get it to a place where I could pitch it and I couldn't get it through, right? That was super frustrating to me. It was super frustrating my sources who worked with me to get it there. Um, but I think there was more control when you're on the reporter side. You can decide to take a look at it. You can decide not to take a look at it. Uh, you know, certainly you can't control the entire outcome because you work for a giant publication uh, or outlet that you know has a number of different layers you have to get the thing through. Uh, but you can certainly decide to initiate. I think it's probably more frustrating to be on the seller's end because it's easier, always easier to be a buyer. You know, you can you can decide where to spend your attention. In this case, if you're a reporter, if you're on our side and you're selling. You know, it's like, it's like business development. It's like pitching stories. It's and more frustrating and because you have to. And you're selling on behalf of a client who is convinced that their story is the biggest story that is to be sold that day. So it's very difficult. You're definitely <laughs> caught in the squeeze when you're the, when they're, when you're yeah. the guy. And you know, one of the things that I have just, just been very blunt with uh, clients and prospective clients, you know, I'll just tell them like, Hey, here's what you need to even have a shot at this. Are you are you willing to show that much leg? And you know, if they say no, I say I think you gotta go somewhere else because I don't. It's it's hard enough. You can never guarantee results, but if you're not starting from a place where there is a shot, then it's just a waste of everybody's time and resources. Now, if they if they think it's the bee's knees and they want to go hire somebody else who will take their money to sell that, that's fine. That, that's that's right. okay with me. You have to be you have to be in that place too. If you're if you're if you can't, you have to have to be that place. Uh, so stories, uh, these, these episodes will always air on a Friday. And so, uh, I always like to ask now that we sort of got through the, the nitty gritty and the business of like, you know, how in the world are we telling stories and how are we doing it these days? Uh, once you put all these stories to bed, once you put all your clients to bed on a Friday, what are you most looking forward to doing this weekend? So every Saturday in my house is a uh, dadder day because my wife works. She, uh, she has clients in the morning, uh, from, you know, from eight to, to afternoon. And so, um, so I get to hang out with my son, which is one of my favorite things to do. And so I always look forward to dadder day where, we, you know, he and I get some one-on-one -on -one time, we get to hang out. And then, uh, in the afternoon, you know, we, we work together as a family and, you know, <laughs> even though we're all together all the time now, you know, I'm in my office most of the day cranking away. So it is still very nice to come down and, uh, and hang out with my guy. He's going to be two here in, uh, in another month. He has not experienced a birthday that is not in lockdown yeah. or, you know, <laughs> restricted. So <laughs> that's certainly weird, you know, and so, uh, you His know, I'm head hoping... will explode and we can actually go to the park and do fun things. Dude, when he amazing. can like sit on people's laps and get yeah. the hugs and like the love that everybody's just dying to like, you know, shower him with, like yeah. he'll, he'll, 
he's he's not going to understand what he was missing. Uh, but you know, that's I guess what I'm most looking forward to is is, is that time, that family time, because uh, he's just a blast. He's just that's a such lot a good fun. age. It's the best. That's such a fun age. They're so busy. <laughs> So busy. So, busy. Uh, so, so one of the requirements as I let you go and let you move on to the rest of your day is always at the end of our podcast, we ask our guests, who is it that you'd most like to uh, see as a future guest for Friday Reporter? So, you know, I know that you, you know, almost everybody I know inside Washington. So <laughs> I, I'm going to take you outside the beltway and I'm going to take you back to Colorado I think you should talk to Joey Bunch. He's a fantastic political reporter, and he tells a great story and really understands uh, how uh, political journalism works and I think would be uh, a ton of fun for your listeners. I would love that. I absolutely would love that. Maybe we could talk about the conditions out in Colorado. I'm sure they're getting better weather than we are these days. (laughs) (laughs) Freight's always such a good pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining me, and I um, would love to have you back again. Absolutely. Anytime. And that's today's episode of the Friday Reporter. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.